Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of other people who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. Hello, Bridget. Hi, Terry. When exploring a topic as big as mental health or even the more specific focus of depression, it's pretty common to have either a macro or micro lens on the topic. Those of us with depression might see our experience as the experience. If we shut down and isolate when we're in it, we might think that's the way that depression manifests. Mm -hmm. But for people who get angry or something else entirely, it's not. Mm -hmm. And then there are the researchers and experts, the people who have studied depression as a topic rather than lived it. And they look at the numbers and trends and relationship to trauma, mental health care access, even suicide. Theirs is the broader 30,000-foot view that takes in far more than a personal experience. Both are important and valid. But it's always a treat when we have a guest who can speak to both their own experience and the larger experience of mental health challenges. Last week, Lacey shared with us how her depression, panic disorder, and bulimia surfaced in her early teens, how her family, though resourced and caring, did not have the tools to understand and talk about those challenges, and the role therapy has played in her self-care and recovery. Today, we continue our conversation with Lacey who is now a social worker, helping others find the mental health management tools that work for them. We shift to a more philosophical discussion of what she's learned from both being a long-term therapy patient and a mental health care provider. Lacey believes that much of what is labeled as mental illness because of a person's behaviors is actually a normal human reaction to painful circumstances in a person's life. It's that shift in perspective that's summed up by the difference between asking, what did you do, and what happened to you that led you to behave in that manner. That's why Lacey says it can be really important to seek support, professional or otherwise, from someone with first-hand experience. You know, if you were a therapist that hadn't had those own experiences, I think that you would think that recovery is more linear than it is. Um because the job that I work now, especially with homeless outreach, these people have such such complex lives. And so one of the first things that you're taught while getting into this job is the stages of change that you can go in and out of wanting help, not wanting help, making progress, not making progress. And people would see, people see maybe symptoms symptoms being more pervasive once again in their lives as taking quote taking steps back but it's not in recovery um somebody who's been through recovery would know that it is it's not like that 
Far from linear, Lacey describes recovery as all over the board and more of a circle than a line. You go in and out of periods of hopelessness and hopefulness and going going through periods of feeling like, no, I, I got I have my feet under me again. And then something in life happens and your feet get swept out under you and you're back to square one. But I think that's the beauty of of the work that we do is knowing that life is both the light and the dark. And if if, if recovery was a thing of like we're on this straight and narrow path and then we get to our destination then then what then right like it's it's if you didn't have something to always be working at then that wouldn't be what life is it's just it's mental health is just like a reflection of life's journey in and of itself um and it's all about just riding that roller coaster and Lacey cautions that to someone who has no similar personal experience that totally typical process and journey can be perceived and labeled as backsliding or failing, even by therapists. But I would say there's no such thing as regressing in in somebody's journey. Um, And that's something, you know, that you, especially with those in substance use that are struggling with their substance use and a mental illness at the same time, that that's that's just the, the name of the game. Like a lot of substance use counselors would tell you that they don't believe um, that somebody is actually recovered unless they've been through a relapse. Um, and so, and that, and that's the perspective that only somebody who's been through recovery themselves would be able to say. Lacey's personal perspective takes that to another level. Relapse or regressing or quote, taking a couple steps back in my eyes is actually taking a few steps forward because you need those experiences. Otherwise, if you were to be depressed and then come out of that, and never regress ever again. Like I, I, I don't even know if that exists. Um, because I mean, that's the beauty of, of growing, of healing is that you gain the tools to, to fall back and then pull yourself back up. And each time you have to do it, you get a little stronger. When you look at it as a lifelong thing and not just a period of your life, then you have a lot more grace for all the, all the twists and turns that it brings you. I think to the not just being able to pull yourself up when we have our, I think you call them steps back, but to recognize the signs that we're doing that, that we're sliding, that we're losing a little bit of ground, losing our footing a bit. The more we have those experiences, the sooner we're able to notice when it's happening, I think, and do something then, as opposed to when we're in the pit, when I think it's really, really hard to do much of anything. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that, really. Um, it's been true for me, and I know it's been true for the friends. Um, I, you know, most of my close friends also suffer um, from some sort of mental illness, and uh, it connects us all, and I think we would all agree with that. One friend in particular, who Lacey says is very open about her experience and wouldn't mind her sharing, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in college. For her, when she starts feeling those symptoms coming up, instead of going out of her way to avoid it by working harder or going out with friends and drinking it away or, you know, just distracting herself with various things. You know, she actually takes the moment to identify those things and just sit with them. And now she calls me when she's feeling those things come up. Lacey says the two of them talk all the time about how far they've come in their mental health journeys and the strength their recovery requires. 
and and I say strength, but you know, it's our own version of strength and that we know that there's strength in weakness and that we're able to hold on to that weakness and not like not avoid it, not run from it, um, and have it some be something that basically is another excuse to bond with people, to reach out to the people who love you despite the things that you're feeling or in, or even because of the things that you're feeling. Those dark parts of my friends are the reasons why I'm so close to them. And I love those parts of them just as much as I love the parts of them that society deems more acceptable. Um, so yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Interesting. So when a total stranger called you and asked if you would like to talk about depression on a podcast, was there anything that you thought, I want to make sure I say this, or this is something that I know that I think people need to hear? The audience pretty much is people with depression, hopefully also people who want to better support people in their lives who do have it. I would say as far as people who are wanting to help others or even just like people with depression who are wanting to explain to others how to best help them is I I would say that most people in my life when I bring things up like this or at least in the beginning the awkwardness that surrounds these conversations because people don't know what to say they feel like they need to say something that will fix it something that will help that person like in that moment. And I think in that case, the most important thing you can do is recognize that there is no perfect thing to say and that that person just needs somebody to sit and hold space with them. I was really, really, really looking for somebody just to let me sit next to them and cry um, and get a hug and be told that it was okay to feel whatever I was feeling and that 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 person didn't need to understand it. Another really helpful and important message for anyone trying to support another person who needs us is to never, ever assume that letting you know they're struggling is an easy thing. And for those of us wanting and needing support... I think it's very important for people who are going through it to to find somebody, whether that's a therapist or a close friend or a family member that can be trusted, to just tell them, like, look, hey, when I'm going through this, I just need somebody to help hold space for these emotions because they're bigger than me sometimes. And if you have just one person that you feel like you can do that with, like, it, it makes an astronomical amount of change. Which Lacey, like all of us listening know, is really in conflict with what our minds are telling us at that point. It's, it's telling you that you're alone in those feelings, that no one else is feeling the way that you're feeling. And A, that is true because it's a completely individualized experience. But I think once you accept that, and know that the generalness of it, the, the feeling of each one of us is going through a different experience, but we can come together in that feeling is important. Given how difficult the ask for support can be, Lacey offers some language that people who want to help can use to make it a bit easier. I guess people who have somebody with depression in their lives shouldn't ever make something sound easy like that, right? Like recognizing, I know it's going to be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but I need you just to tell me, just to tell me, right? And I won't try to sit here and fix you. I will just listen. And then whatever you say that you need for support, I will do, which whether if that's like 
just standing by, whether that's helping research for a therapist, whether that's, you know, starting to go on runs, like exercise was a huge factor in my mental health. Um, And so the list goes on and on on how you can support somebody. But I just feel like people feel like they need to have the answers and you just really don't. There is no answers in this um, because it's such it's such a unique experience to each person. And really, you can't you can't ask somebody directions to a place they've never been. Did you catch that? What a great phrase. You can't ask someone directions to a place they've never been. Very interesting. So if we're not to have the answers for other people, because they're hard enough to have for ourselves, what are some good questions to have? My first question always is, are you looking for advice? Are you looking for solutions? Are you looking for somebody to hold space? Because I think that we're, at least my experience it, that the answer to that depended on the day and what I was feeling at the moment. You know, I'd have people trying to tell me what to do all the time in my depression of just like, well, just get out, Joe, go outside, just do this, just do that. And I, you know, would a lot of times think to myself, like, I'm not asking for your solutions. I just want you to listen. If you're a regular listener, you recognize that as one of the most common comments from our guests. Yet, we'd bet that an awful lot of people would be very surprised and probably relieved to learn that. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of the times, really, the simplest solution, quote-unquote, in those moments is really just to be heard. Once Once you get that off of your chest and your heart, like, that's why journaling works so well for people, is just putting it out of your head and onto paper or having somebody else hear you, just getting it out of your system is such a release for people. That's why therapy works a lot of the times, even with therapists that don't have the answers. Because as those of us who've been in therapy for a while have learned, we know ourselves and our needs better than anyone else. Although we may need help reconnecting with that intuition when depression and other things off-center us. When I'm in therapy, I I end up speaking so much about my experiences that I come to my own solutions myself. Because we like like I truly believe that we have whatever we need within us and that the best therapists, the best friends, the best family members are people who are just there to help you see those things. One common conversational mistake made in many situations, not just conversations about mental health, is the reflex to try to demonstrate understanding by sharing a similar story. But Lacey says that can end up closing a door that is much safer left open. For example, like when my grandpa died and I was trying to talk to my friends about it, they would say, I know exactly how you're feeling. My grandpa died and blah, 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 right? And I would just think to myself, I don't want to talk to you about your grandpa right now. It's about my grandpa and you don't know my grandpa. You don't know the love that him and I had. It's not the same. Lacey says she understands that people have really good intentions when they talk like that and that they're just trying to use their experience as a way to connect with another person, in theory. In reality, they're just ostracizing them and making them feel as though, like, the conversation is being turned away from them. And somebody who's suffering from depression, who is already having a hard time bringing those things up, 
making them feel like it's about you and not them is going to make them feel like, well, why did I even bring this up to begin with? I, I can barely even contemplate my existence, let alone your existence and your feelings right now. So I guess, I guess now that I say all that, it's more of what you don't say than what you do say. I think the, I think the less words in this circumstance, the better, the more you can get them to talk and the less you talk, um, unless they're specifically asking otherwise, um, is, is important and something that I think is very undervalued. I would agree because the average human isn't heard. You know, you might listen to them, but hearing them is such a different thing that when we have the opportunity to do that for someone, um, it is a gift and it, it in itself can be healing, I think. Oh, yeah. A lot of my clients have never been heard by a single individual in their entire lives. And it makes them very angry. Um, and, you know, anger is a secondary emotion. And a lot of the times that first emotion is just sad, is depressed, is hurt. And, you know, they they spend all their lives trying to tell people that they're hurting and then just not being heard. And then they realize that anger will get them further um, because people are forced to address anger more than sadness. Um, and this, I mean, that's not just for people with mental illness, but for everyone in, in general is like, Knowing in life that above all that humans just want to be seen and heard is something that can change your interactions with everyone, um, everyone and anyone that you have a relationship with. Wow. Right? So much there. Riding the roller coaster of life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Indeed. And that life is both the light and the dark. Mm Mm-hmm. And I like that notion that, you know, sitting and holding space and supporting somebody, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to know what to say. There isn't a right thing to say. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just, um, I don't know, more doable. It's, mm-hmm. a, I find it a relief, to be honest. I think so, too. And, yeah, that they're, they're, it's not just that you don't know the right thing to say or do. It's that there might not be one. Yeah. And that your, your best bet is to just simply be there and then ask. You know, how can I support you? What can I do for you if, in fact, you want me to do anything? And if they have, you know, she gave a great list, right? Help them find a therapist, be on standby. I thought that was a great one. So, yeah. And and also when Lacey said, uh, when we look at our mental health journeys as lifelong versus sort of like an incidence, uh, that we can have more grace, more grace for and with ourselves. Mm -hmm. And less judgment when it like bubbles back up again, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. You started out this episode talking about the distinction between um, what happened to you versus what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the title of Oprah's newish book. It's called What Happened to You. And I'm about 75% of the way through it. Mm. And I'm finding it super educational and that it's constructing a new framework to hold trauma in kind of a more self-loving lens. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's, <laughs> it's, it. it's a little triggering and it's packed with lots of examples and just a lot of everything, but I recommend it. It's called What Happened to You. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Lacey. Greatly appreciate the time you spent. And I don't know if anybody noticed at the end of this episode, but the skies opened and it just started pouring while she was sitting out there with her laptop. So we were done with the interview anyway, but it was great that she was able to just close it and run. And good for her for knowing that she needed a break and to refuel and change of scenery and everything. It's a good, uh, good modeling. Indeed.
We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on Depression's Dark Road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.